Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Amy. Hi, I'm so nervous. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy, for asking me to be here tonight. And um, happy birthday. It's really awesome to share this, to share my life with you and to share this journey of recovery with you. And um, welcome. Welcome to OA. Welcome. Welcome back. And um, congratulations to the chip takers. <clears throat> it's funny, I was, I'm really sort of, overwhelmed by I'm looking around the room and the people there are people in this room who are the closest people to my heart in my life and um that was not a gift that I expected when I came to OA I was pretty sure well I actually wasn't sure what was going to happen what I wanted you to teach me was how I could eat whatever I wanted and still get skinny (laughs) and I thought if anybody's going to know how to do that the people in OA are going to know how to do that I found OA um, through the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I found, <laughs> you know what's funny is I found it because a bunch of alcoholics kept telling me to stop worrying so much about what I was eating, and I was like, you guys don't get it, I'm going to die, and they were like, take it easy on yourself, you're in early sobriety, you know, like all of that, like have a chocolate, and um, <laughs> and I was, I, I was like, but I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Why doesn't anybody understand that what I'm talking about is a is a compulsion that I am absolutely powerless with and that is killing me spiritually? And it wasn't until I came to OA and I heard you guys that I was like, okay, like this is where this is where I can get recovery. And it's it's that magic of one compulsive overeater talking to another that makes the difference. And I know there, you know, there are many of us who are in multiple programs and a lot of us who aren't. And what I have found is that as more is revealed, I find out that I qualify for lots of them, you know. But um, for me, seriously, to my own absolute surprise, OA has become my primary program, um, which is bizarre to even say, but it's absolutely true. And I, you know, I think that, um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about my story, and I really will try to... Um, focus on the OA stuff, but it's, the journey is so tied into my AA story that I, it's almost, I can't, almost can't completely separate them, but what happened was, <laughs> I came out of my mother's womb, and I started to eat. <laughs> I, was, I had the compulsion and the obsession with food as a little kid. Um, I, you know, my after school binges, like I remember immediately being like, it rocked when I could take the bus home and get home a half an hour before my mom, and that meant like a half an hour of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before anybody else walked through the door, and it was like, yeah, that was me time, you know, and it was like that thing of um, white-knuckling it through my life so I can get to my next snack or white-knuckling it through my life so I can get to my next meal was something that I experienced, you know, from a really early age. And, um, you know, I have memories of... Even understanding that I was different around food at that age, knowing that, like, 
You know, I don't know. I, I know a lot of us talk about that we always felt like just off somehow. We just sort of felt wrong in the world. And I'm not really sure if, like, I felt wrong in the world and so food became attractive or if I just was born with that compulsion and that made me feel weird because I knew other people didn't have it. You know, sometimes I think that the um, – I know there's an emotional component. I know there's a psychological component, but I'm a big believer in the phenomenon of craving um, and that normal eaters do not experience the phenomenon of craving. It just They just don't. And they may emotionally overeat, but it's that, it's different. It's a different animal than what we deal with. And that, that you know, that beast inside of me, that phenomenon of craving was um, – was always there, and I remember think I remember like having eating stuff with my my cousins, and they were like all squirmy in their chairs, and they wanted to go outside and play, and I was like, can we just stay here and like have thirds, <laughs> you know? When I was like ten, and it, it was just always there. And then I guess what happened is that there was a you know, I was a pretty it kind of things things got easier, and it, the whole sort of craziness lifted until I experienced a sexual trauma when I was, God, I was a baby. I was like 14. Um, and I didn't tell anybody. And um, that, the shame that I felt and the, um, the guilt that I felt and the absolute, I was absolutely sure to my very core that if I told anybody the truth, they would, I don't know, kill me that they wouldn't love me anymore, that I wouldn't, like, I knew I wasn't going to get help. It's that same thing of, like, I knew I was not going to be taken care of. And um, and that started a, sort of a long road of hiding in food. And I put on, you know, I was a, a pretty normal size, and I think I put on 60 pounds in, like, four months maybe. Like, by the time I rocked into high school, it was I was a different, in a different body. And what, it really freaked my parents out. Actually, it pissed them off, um, is what it did. And I know that they were just afraid. Like, I know that now, and I have a lot of compassion for where they were coming from. But at the time, it just felt like I got in trouble for doing the only thing that I knew to save myself. And it, there was, it was really confusing in the messages that came. And what happened is that shortly thereafter, maybe two years after that, I discovered drugs and alcohol. And what I can say about, like, and again, it's the phenomenon of craving that I experience with drugs and alcohol, but I'll tell you what, it was awesome to not be obsessed with food. And drinking and drugging took away that obsession. And it was like, I didn't care what the consequences were. If I didn't have to come home and binge, I didn't give a shit. I will, I'll do whatever. So that took on, you know, a life, its whole, uh, you know, life of its own. And um, I'll just fast forward so there's basically like my 20s I call them the lost years I was basically in a blackout and um and then I I got sober you know and AA really saved my life the 12 steps have absolutely saved my life and I got sober at 29 and what happened was that slowly the 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 food obsession started to come back and early sobriety was well it's you know anybody who's been it's like early abstinence it's nuts but it's all, I also had, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I had about 62 days sober. So it was like all of a sudden I had to like, I couldn't get hammered. I, I was supposed to be somehow be adult enough to handle this thing that was happening to my body. 
And then they started talking to me about food and what I could and couldn't eat. And it was like, oh, man, you know, like, no good. Because basically for the 62 days I had not been drinking, I'd been eating chocolate and pastries and milkshakes. And, and because of the, the thing that the diabetes does, when, you, when you're, I was so far progressed in the disease, you lose weight, right? I, was, I lost, like, 40 pounds in that two months. And I was shoving everything you could possibly think in my face. And the craziness of my head, I was like, why didn't I get sober years ago? <laughs> this crap! You know, like, just completely out of it. Um, so the food stuff came back, and it came back with a vengeance. And I was able to kind of manage it because I was still smoking cigarettes, <clears throat> which was, seriously, it was a, that, was a, my, that was my tool. Right? That's how I kept myself from eating. And then I stayed sober long enough to quit smoking. And then the beast came out. And um, there was also, and I want to say this too about, just to sort of backtrack a little bit. During that time in adolescence when I put on all that weight, I would have sat across from you and said, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm the same size I was a year ago. I was, and I would have, I would have believed it. I was so disconnected from my body. And I know, I think that part of that is because of the sexual trauma that happened. Part of that is because I, it's, it's too painful to be me if I don't have the 12 steps and you guys. It's just too painful. Um, but there was this, you know, really big disconnect. And when I, when I quit smoking, and it was like, it was like somebody took my clothes and went, and took and just took them off, and I was standing there butt naked. Like that's how, that's emotionally how it felt, and like I couldn't. And and it was like before I knew it, I was reaching in the fridge, and I was doing this, and I was doing the you know that every day the I'm not going to go to Vons, I'm not going to go to Vons, I'm not going to go to Vons. I'm at Vons <laughs> every day, and I was in grad school at the time at UCLA, and you know as um. Uh, a theater arts major, which just makes me laugh now. But um, it was seriously, it's like, how can I, what profession could I choose where I could feel really, really bad about my body 24-7? Oh, gee. Like, are you kidding? Of all the, of all the ideas I have ever had, that was one of my best. Um <laughs> And I can tell you that I came in, so I came into to OA, it was, I actually, I always forget the years, but I sat down and did the math. I will be four years abstinent, God willing, on December um, 16th, so in a couple of weeks or about a month, um, and I've been in OA for five years. So there was, I got abstinent right away, and then um, when I had about 11 months, and on my OA, I think it was my third AA birthday, I binged. And it was like, it started with a couple of, you know, like, it has sugar, but I don't give a shit. It's like, Teddy Graham. Thank you. Lee knows the story. This Teddy Graham. Um, and it became, it became something else. And I could have, you know, it was one of those moments where I, I could have, my sponsor said to me, like, what you, you know, what you did was you ate sugar, which it, part of my bottom line is that I don't eat recreational sugar. So, you know, what you did was eat something with sugar in it, and then you had a really, like, big dinner so we could call it that if you want or you can say that you broke your abstinence 
that you ate sugar and you had a binge. It, you need to tell me what feels the most honest to you. And the truth was that for that first year, I was kind of white-knuckling it a little bit, you know. And, um, and I knew, it's interesting, I knew enough that, like, I knew that I had to be as honest as I could on any given day. Do you know what I mean? I haven't had the experience. For me, OA has been like evolution, not revolution. (laughs) AA was a revolution. Different story here. And I, like, it's like this growing, gentle sort of like I trust more and more. Each year I am a little more willing to tell the truth about who I am and what I eat and how I feel about food and like it's it's been a per, it's definitely been progress not perfection but I have known since the beginning or had a sense that the, the only the only real like lifeline that I have is I have to tell the truth to the very best of my ability that day and it's different do you know what I mean like I haven't I I didn't tell the truth totally to my sponsor in that first year or two years even. You know, I didn't always wrap myself out when I did something funky with food. I didn't always, you know, share the, um, you know, the other part of this disease, which I know a lot of us have, which is that, that body obsession that is like this rabid voice in my head that just rips me apart. And then once I get sick of ripping me apart, I'll probably turn around and start ripping you apart because I'm so tired of looking at myself. You know, it's like that kind of insanity um, I was really embarrassed about because I felt it was like, you know, I pride myself on being kind of smart, and it was like, like, really? Like, I really give a shit about my abs? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, let's, can we please talk about something a little loftier than that? And the truth, the truth is, no, we can't because that's what I'm thinking about. You know what I mean? And you ha- I had to get honest about what was really going on on the inside. So my, since I, my, my first abstinence, my first bottom line. I mean, I showed up at, I showed up at um, the one o'clock meeting at Forbes Hall. There are actually there's a there are a couple people here today that were at that meeting. Now I think you were at that meeting, and I was like, just. I just sat in the corner and cried and cried and cried. I couldn't stop crying. I didn't say anything. I didn't introduce myself to anybody. I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And this lovely woman, you know when we do that, like who volunteers to stay after and speak to the newcomer, that it saved my life that somebody raised their hand and said, oh, I could do that today. Because she just came up to me and said, just tell me, you know, start to try to tell me what's going on. And I had to try to articulate, you know, like, I can't stop like this crazy but I had been in this insane place of like sugar 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 and then something else like meals 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 but it was it was getting I felt it progressing like I felt like I was on a train and it was like I couldn't get off and it was going faster and faster and faster and faster and I was starting to have the experience. I was usually pretty good at, like, eating normally in front of other people and then binging by myself. I was having the experience where I couldn't eat normally in front of other people. Like, I'd be sitting at a meal with my, with my um, classmates from grad school. And, like, I'd have to go get more and eat. Like, I could not stop. And, like, they, had, they stopped ages ago, right? And I knew that they could tell something was weird and, like, 
and I was, the weight was piling on really fast. It was just terrifying. So I went to that first OA meeting, and, and that, that woman became my first sponsor. And I basically spent the next, um, I don't know, 30 days, 60 days on the phone with her. Like, I literally felt like I had her glued to my ear 24-7. And she really, really helped me to get, to go through the withdrawals from putting down um, sugar, really. And it felt like, I felt like a crack baby. It was awful. The physical withdrawals were really awful. Um, And then, you know, once that passed... It's interesting. It's, it's, I can't tell you that it doesn't call to me anymore, but I can tell you that it's not an option. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just not. Like, I know it would sort of. It would be like sticking my foot in a trap. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what it would be to pick up. It's like, do I really want to stick my foot in the trap? So, like, I'm going to have to gnaw it off in order to get. You know, like, no, I don't really want to do that. And then over time, I changed my abstinence about three years ago to no sugar and no binging because, well, because I needed to. And because I, I, I had, I kind of, what I feel about what happens around here is like, I, I get as much freedom back as work that I put in. It's really pretty equal, you know what I mean? And it takes a lot of work, but there's, but I, but I get so much back. And I have today, what I have is a, almost complete freedom from the obsession of the mind in terms of the body dysmorphia. It's not to say that I li- I'm living in a body that I, you know, think is awesome. That's not true. And it's not to say that I, I don't, I wouldn't like to, to um, the old, the single digit size kill me. I was like, that's like my dream. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> that's not where I am today. And that's, you know, it's like, okay, I have to be, you know, I just have to be in the body that I'm in today. But I, what I can tell you is that I don't wake up every single morning wondering how I can get skinnier today. I just don't. I wake up in the morning and I think, where's the coffee? And make sure I have time for prayer and meditation before I have to go to work. You know what I mean? It's, very, it's, very, it's a very different internal world today than it was five years ago, even though the outside, honestly, guys, they really haven't changed. I mean... You know, thank God I I was able to to let go of the weight that came on after I quit smoking um, and that period of really intense binging. But I'm living in the same body that I've been living in pretty much my entire adult life that I have never been satisfied with. And I don't know that I ever will, and I don't really give a shit anymore. You know what? It's sort of like, yes, and. You know? like. Can, and, and now I really can say, can we talk about something else? Because it's not, necess- you know, it's not what's going on in my head. And um, the idea that I can turn, turn my will in my life over to the care of God as I understand God, and that I can clean house and keep, you know, take care of my side of things, that I can approach my fellow human beings um, and ask for forgiveness, um, and come to them with a forgiving heart, um, and that I can continue the spiritual journey, and to continue to like keep clean about my life. Like the steps to me are not like they're not like a something you like you do like check 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 check. Do you know what I mean? I guess you do the first time around, but for me it's like they're absolutely just the way that I live my life. And when I'm in a moment of confusion or I don't know what to do, I just like refer to the steps because they'll tell me what to do 
It's like if I start it with any problem I have, I can start at step one and basically work it through. And by the time I get, you know, get to the end, I, I know exactly what to do. I'm clear about, you know, what my, you know, and, and sometimes it's as simple as I need to do nothing. You know, I need to mm-hmm. just be still, be patient, ask for more guidance. You know, that the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Like, the things I cannot change not really my problem anymore. But where I still have to really work is the courage to change the things I can. Like, i got to get off my ass and do some stuff. Because I have, there are a lot of things that I can affect today. And then, you know, in the wisdom to know the difference, it's like, i got to take, you know, i got to do the action and stay out of the results. And in this last path through the steps, so in this, I, I just did a, a path through the steps with, with a, an, She's not really a new sponsor anymore. It's been a couple of years, but um, we just finished step 12. And it was like I got to steps 8 and 9, and I had one amends to make. And it was like the difference between that, that kind of um, what feels to me spiritually clean living, and the person that I was five years ago or, you know, seven, eight years ago when I was still drinking – is worlds apart. You know, I used to behave in ways that had no, had no integrity. I would take things if I wanted them. I didn't care whose they were. I would lie and manipulate so that, mostly so, so that you wouldn't see me, right? Not so much that I could get away with something, except for I could, just as long as I could get away with you not knowing that A, there was something wrong, or that B, you know, that there was something wrong. (laughs) Um, And, Today, I really feel like I have, because of this program and because of my relationship to God, I have a way to show up in the world that is really authentic, that I never, ever knew how to do that. And I can really show up and be, be the sort of restored to sanity version of myself that um, I never got to be because drugs, alcohol, food, etc. derailed me before I ever got to grow up and be an adult. So I get to sort of reinvent myself now in in recovery. And I, you know, the last thing I want to say about before, I guess I'll open it up for questions, but I think about my relationship today to my family. It's pretty, my, so I, I'm the only, I'm the only like, hello, I'm busted, it's out, I'm an addict, come over here in my family, right? Which is, works really perfectly for my psychology because I love being the black sheep. It's like, okay, good. Now, I, uh, yep, I'll be the scapegoat for all of that. Cool. I know how to do that. But in my recovery, I am now, I'm able to see where it comes from. And not in a way that's like that I used to when I was still using, which is like, that's where it comes from. It's your fault. But I can see where it comes from now is like, oh, mom's really afraid that she's not going to be taken care of. Oh, well, that makes sense. Or like, oh, I get it. Dad's really afraid to commit 100%, even though they've been married for 45 years. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? So it's in a way of like just being able to observe the human condition and observe human behavior and have so much compassion for who these people are, aside from the fact that they're my parents and siblings. And... My sister and I, 
I get I can't I get all teary when I even think about her. But like she and I had a really difficult relationship growing up. Um, because you know why? Because she was skinny and popular, so it was all her fault. <laughs> and uh, she deserved everything she got. <laughs> she was, you know, she was like, she was like homecoming queen and prom queen and uh, class president and like president of her university. And I mean, God, you could just kill her, right? And I was like, you know. The only reason to go to student council was to, like, I don't know, smoke pot outside while everybody else was in trying to pass something. I mean, like, it just was like, I, I didn't get that thing. But secretly, oh, my God, did I want to be prom queen? Oh, my God. Like, I would have I, I would have killed somebody if they to be prom queen. I wanted that Piera. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I didn't, I never got to allow, like, it wasn't okay to be jealous. You know what I mean? Like, there was all this, these weird feelings between she and I. And I, I realized that for so much of my life, I had been not owning my own, like, self-loathing. And I'd been assigning it to other people. It's like, I, I don't hate myself anymore, but let's rewind a couple of years. I really hated myself. And um, I couldn't own that I hated myself, so I decided that she thought I was something. And... They didn't, you know, understand me. And I wasn't going to, you know, because I couldn't just cop to the fact that these people loved me the absolute best that they could. And, like, they're, they're, you know, their hearts are, like, overflowing with it. I am the one who hates myself. And I really had to cop to that and, and work really hard to surrender that. To first name it as a character defect like, not, like, poor me, I'm the victim, but to actually say, like, my low self-esteem is a defect of character. And then go to God and say, please, please remove this from me. And that journey has been, I mean, it has just been amazing. It's been transformative. Again, you know, it's an evolution. <laughs> it's, it, feels like it's t- it feels like it's taking forever, honestly. It does. It feels like it's taking forever. But then I go like, well, not really. You know, it's been five years. And look at the, you know, if I can step back and sort of look at the change. It has been pretty revolutionary. So I think I will stop there and just open up for questions if anybody has questions. Thank you. Thanks for being So the question was, have I found that, that the higher power that I connected to when I got sober has had to change in order to get abstinent and to let go of, right? Is it a different higher power that I'm dealing with today? Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. And that was one of the hardest things, coming from having had a, a love affair with AA, a love affair from day one, and coming into OA and being like, this. I was pissed. I was, you guys. I was so mad. It was like, I was, you know, getting sober was the most terrifying, like, 
I everything had to change. I couldn't be who I had been my whole life. You know, like ah, it still freaks me out even thinking about it. The idea of not having a drink one day at a time was so terrifying. And I did it. I did it, and I did it for two and a half years, and I was rocking it, and now I can't stop eating? Like, not fair. Not fair and not acceptable. I was pissed. And I had, like, a whole, whole, like, internal, like, period of absolute rage with my higher power. And, you know, I just let myself do it. I let myself rage. And I I worked with... You know, it's like working programs in tandem, but I actually worked with my, um, I was doing like step one with my OA sponsor and then working in 10 steps and 11 steps about all of this rage that was coming up because I was really, yes, I was absolutely furious. And somebody said to me at one of my, you know, first meetings, probably a couple months in, like took me aside and said, do you, can you believe, or can, is there a part of you that you can open up to that can believe that someday this will also be like the the bad thing that happened to you that turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you? Because that's how I see my alcoholism. And I was like, 99.9% of me was saying no, but there was, there was like a teeny little, okay, maybe that's possible. Maybe that's possible. And it kind of started from there. And it became a, ultimately, it became like a set-aside prayer. Like, dear God, help me set aside everything I think I know about you, about who I am in the world, about why I have an eating disorder, about what it means to be sober, about what you want me to do, about how I'm supposed to feel, blah, 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 so that I can have an open mind and a new experience. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for that. And I prayed for, to be able to feel, what I missed or what I felt disconnected from was that I felt so comforted by finding a higher power so quickly when I got sober. And so like, oh my God, I didn't know that I could be held like this by this sort of energy or whatever it was. And then I felt like that was like taken away from me. And so to be open to like, that maybe I had the power to just let that back in that maybe I was the one keeping it out and I had to just sort of re-surrender and allow myself to sort of slowly, and it took time for it to re-emerge. But I can tell you that today, my faith is stronger than ever. Hmm. Stronger than ever. Like, I have stupid, like, blind, absolute faith. Sure. How do you balance working in both programs with your responses in both of the programs? Uh, Yeah, so the question is, how do I balance both programs, and do I work with sponsees in both? Um, Yeah, I do work with sponsees in both. You know, I don't really balance it. It, it, I go to a meeting almost every day. So I have, like, I have commitments in both programs, and I – it did feel kind of hard at first, and having two sponsors was hard. I don't have two sponsors anymore. I have – my OA sponsor is my sponsor. I was get it was I was getting two different messages. It was just confusing, and um, and I feel very connected to my OA sponsor. And I also because we have to make friends with the enemy, and we have to see the enemy, you know, three to five times a day. I need that continue. It's different, and I need that. Um, I need to be able to have. I don't know. It just works. It works better for me to have a sponsor in this program, and then I, you know, I have fellows in both programs that I stay very close to. 
but it's all kind of, it's all become like, for me, I'm, a, I'm like a 12-step person. Do you know what I mean? Like, my, my life is what happens in between meetings. And I'm cool with that. I really am, because it's a great life. And I know what, when I, I used to not go to meetings. I had all kinds of time, and my life sucked. <laughs> so now I go to tons of meetings. Life is what happens in between, and I have a really good life. Oh, hi. Thank you so much. What do you do when resentments come up? Fight. <laughs> um, the question is, what do I do when re- resentments come up? I write a ten step. You know, I write a ten step. Um, there's nothing, and then I, I, I write a ten step because the first, the first thing I need to do is to get clear about what's going on, because a lot of the times I'll, I, I might think I'm pissed at X, Y, or Z. But when I actually sit down and write those four columns, I realize that's actually not really even what's going on. I'm actually feeling like my, you know, my, old, my good old like low self-esteem character defect has kicked back up, and I feel threatened that somebody's better than me, right? So, well, that's not their stuff. That's my stuff. So I get to then own it, do you know, go to God, ask for relief of it. But when there is, you know, I had a situation this last year where. I was betrayed by someone who was very close to me, and I was resentful. And there was no mistaking what the resentment was about, or was it misplaced? It absolutely wasn't. And it, but it doesn't matter. It still it was still killing me, right? It's like what is the old phrase of like drinking the poison and expecting somebody else to die. So again, it's like it, it's a spiritual solution. So I just go to God and I say, like, God, please help me release this resentment. Please help me, you know, show me what to do. Guide me in my relationship with whomever this is. Um, You know, help me be whatever it is that I need to be. Because not in all cases do I need to be, I mean, I guess we always need to be kind. But I don't necessarily have to keep engaging in a relationship with someone if it's not working for me. Mm -hmm. Right? But I can, but I do need to be um, able to like release it lovingly, take care of myself, not not play the old react. I'm going to react to you and then you react to me game. You know, to be able to stop that and put some space, some God in between me and that person if we're in if we're in some craziness together. Um, so yeah, I mean. I, from, it, it's got to get down on paper, first and foremost, and then I got to take it to another human being, right? I always read it to my sponsor, and then I have to take it to God, because I can't make it go away. Is that it? Okay, thank you. Very much.